day and welcome to a grad chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's and graduate programs, I might add, not just the research side. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's grad chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and a CFRC. So thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts or Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. And just a reminder, the clarity of the recording isn't quite as good as when we do this in the studio, but we're still here and we're using different platforms and we found one that works really, really well for us, even though they've just done an upgrade. So we're actually getting used to this, the new platform, but we're here anyway. So today I'd like to introduce you to Annie Jan and Brittany Jennings from what we call is our MOOL program or Master of Earth and Energy Resources Leadership Program. Welcome to Grad Chat, Annie and Brittany. Thank you, Colette. Thank you, Colette. <laughs> it's strange having two people again in, in this conversation. So I've got to remember who's going to be speaking. That's great. <laughs> so it's one way to break the ice, isn't it? So... Um, now, this program, I mean, I, I introduce it as MOOL, which is the, the short form for it. It makes it easier for us in the grad school to remember. This program is considered uh, like a professional master's program. So perhaps, Brittany, I can ask you, as you're not a student, but actually a staff member in the program, to explain what it is about and the kind of backgrounds the students come from to join this program. For sure, call it. So I am the program manager for the Merle program. And so I handle everything to do with Merle. And so Merle was uh, started as a concept back in 2014 um, and actually started with students in it in January of 2017. It's a professional master's program, mainly designed for individuals working in the oil and gas and mining industries. It's 20 months part-time and online. So the idea is that you can keep working from your job from anywhere in the world and uh, join us online to uh, get a master's degree from Queen's University. And our students come from a wide range of backgrounds, which is something we really like about this program and how it's evolved since 2017. I think when we first started, we were really looking for the people who typically work in mining or oil and gas or energy, or the people you think that would work. So engineers or geologists, but right. through, through the evolution of the program, we've gotten a wide breadth of different types of people. So someone like Annie, whose undergraduate degree is actually in biology, but works in the energy sector in Alberta. And then we've got people who've come from, you know, economics or policy or finance who are working in one of these industries, but want to learn more about the technical side and learn more about the, the kind of details and behind the scenes of these industries more. And then we still do have our typical engineers, geologists who kind of round out our uh, group of students. I guess I'll, I'll keep this question to the end because with the energy sector getting hammered right now, um, <laughs> I don't know if that's a worry for the program, is it? For us, no, I don't think it's a worry for the program. The reality is that the whole world needs energy and we're yes. going to continue to need energy for the you know foreseeable future. And what we're trying to do in this program is stay ahead of the curve on that and try to give our students the tools that they need to succeed in their work environments 
to make sure our hope is that we're bringing Canada's energy to the rest of the world. And we have a firm belief that the world needs more Canadian energy more than anything else. And so trying to let our help our students succeed as the landscape changes so rapidly right now. Because the fact is, we do need it. It's just how are we going about extracting what we need for energy? And how do we do it in the best way possible? So just quickly, though, so if someone was in a different sort of energy field, such as sun or wind, would they benefit from this program? Yes, someone who's coming from a renewable energy background would find this program beneficial. The only caveat would be how technical they would want to get into the renewable side. We are taking a very broad look at the natural resource sector, and that's across mining and that is across energy too. And what are some of the things that you need to know and to work in this industry, whether that is within, um, you know, solar or wind or oil sands or mining and how do some of these concepts apply to all of them? And so, yes, we welcome students from the renewable side and some of our students are really getting into renewables within their jobs. So I have a graduate who actually accepted a position as climate change lead at the engineering firm she works at. And she was a geological engineer, but she got that offer directly because of taking Merle. Right. And, and so it's a skill set you learn while in Merle as well. And it's, you know, because you're taking courses that are like strategic leadership and Uh, stakeholder engagement and technology and innovation. So we're not talking about necessarily in the huge detail of how do you how do you get oil out of the ground? It's more about how do you possibly get oil out of the ground, but do it in the most ethical and environmentally friendly way. Well, like I said, it's it's one of those topics right now that's at the forefront, particularly with climate change and everything. So it's great that we've got a program like this. So I know it took a few years to get it up and running, but clearly it's it has its place. So that's fantastic for us. Annie, before we get into some of the research you have been able to do as a student in the program, what is your background and why did you decide to join Merle? Yeah, so as Brittany mentioned, my background is a little bit different from many of my classmates in Merle. I'm an environmental biologist by training, and I completed my undergraduate degree from the University of Alberta. I've spent the last 10 years of my career working for public agencies that regulate the environmental impacts of oil and gas extraction and coal mining. Uh, We essentially look after the full life cycle development of all of these energy sectors. And I decided to join Merle because I wanted to grow professionally into a leadership role and haven't encountered many leaders in the energy sector who are like myself, female, visible minority, and with an educational background in environmental sciences. There seems to be a growing tension and disconnect between energy development and environmental management as uh, the world strives towards more sustainable development. And I think that often the emphasis is either more on the energy development side or environment management, really depending on the background experience brought forward by the leaders. And I just think of how much more balance uh, we can achieve between energy environment if energy leaders are well-versed in environment management and vice versa. And I've always been compelled to be the difference I want to see in the world. And not really seeing much like myself um, in my industry. I saw Merle as the perfect platform to become more well-versed in multiple facets of energy development that we just talked about and Mm -hmm. as well as leadership. So yeah, that's great. essentially was a really big driver for me to be part of Merle. I think what's really nice is that you're bringing, like you said, the bringing the environmental side 
together with what's happening in the energy sector, which is going to be more and more important as we move forward. So if you're, you know, at the forefront of that, that's fantastic. Can you tell us about, okay, because I mean, I'm assuming you're still working. That's right. Yes. Full time. Yes. Yes. So can you tell us about completing your courses online? Let's go into sort of the courses online and, and how the process has been, because it's probably a bit of a juggling act, isn't it, as well? Yeah, absolutely. But to be quite honest, completing courses online has provided tremendous flexibility around my full-time work schedule. Just, you know, the ability to watch the lectures as it best fits within my schedule, whether that's, Mm -hmm. you know, full-time at work, at home, or away on business travel, or sometimes working in the field before COVID, of course. Um, (laughs) Yes. It's just given that flexibility to be able to access that information as it best fits, no matter the location or time. And it's really great to have the lectures be pre-recorded so that our live sessions could be spent on more meaningful interactions with the professors and my classmates, like, you know, live Q&As, having live negotiations, presentations. I think it's really helped to keep everybody more engaged that way. And the instructors and program staff are always in email way. And even the times we've encountered, you know, technology issues as we might with, with the online format um, we've never really encountered any issues that couldn't be solved in a timely way so yeah really the online format I think has been more of a benefit that's great and I must admit even you know with all this COVID having that like you said pre-recorded stuff that you can look at before you want to have that healthy engagement of discussion is really really important because like you said it has that flexibility but then when you are ready to get together it's probably a really great discussion because everyone's done it and it gives you that connection with your classmates too doesn't it absolutely so can you speak to your experience about managing the program while working because I mean I know you said it's great that it's flexible but you know this you still got to manage it and who knows what else pops into your scheduling from time to time Yeah, for sure. It's definitely no easy task uh, managing full-time work and a part-time, very demanding program like Merle. But uh, (laughs) in my experience, our Merle professors have been very understanding of individual work circumstances and, you know, providing the flexibility as we might need on a case-by-case basis. They have the understanding that everybody in the program is also a full-time working professional. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not that we've got all the days and time available to dedicate towards the program. And some of my classmates have even been required to work on overnight shifts or in remote locations without stable internet connection. And yeah, I've seen a lot of flexibility there as well. Professors being able to find alternate solutions to helping those classmates meet course requirements. In one case, uh, one of my professors actually redesigned um, an alternate evaluation for one of my classmates who had to travel for work in a different continent. And, you know, he unexpectedly lost internet connection while we were doing a group presentation. So, you know, like that amount of flexibility, it's uh, it's really great to see in a program where it really does enable you to work full time anywhere in the world. And at times of major deadlines in the program, for me personally, it's helped to take one or two days off work a month to complete schoolwork. However, by just making either my weeknights or weekends available for schoolwork, haven't really encountered major workload issues managing the program while working. And in fact, I've found so much overlap between the content of work and school. It's actually made both more interesting and exciting. Oh, that's good. It must be 
I mean, I'm assuming too your your work, your actual full time paying job. Are, are they supportive of you doing this program, or have you just done off your uh, off your own back? No, absolutely. My employer has been very supportive of the program. They see that in my current role, just mostly focus on the environmental side of energy regulation. They see so much benefits in getting more understanding of the full life cycle aspect and really being able to look at multiple dimensions to energy regulation. So they, they have given me a lot of flexibility and support to complete school work as well. So it's really nice being able to find that harmony between both. Yeah, you're very lucky because not everyone has a, a job that can be that flexible for you, but I'm glad they do. I mean, they clearly see the benefit of you doing this, which is fantastic. Absolutely. So what about your classmates? Now, speaking to the diversity of your classmates, what have you learned from them so far? I mean, you, you sort of you gave a good outline of your background and everything, but what about other people in your class and, and what have you learned from them? Yeah, Carla, I would say the diversity of the moral cohort has been one of the single most valuable learning experiences for me in the program. I have classmates that work in finance, marketing, engineering, and research, and not only those realms, um, they specialize in energy and mining. So, you know, we, we can really form a common language around that, even though we work on such different facets. Uh, right, of yes. Mm -hmm. And as someone who works specifically on the energy regulation side, that ability to communicate and test ideas directly with these classmates that work in the industry I regulate, I feel like it has broken so many barriers that we would normally have in, in terms of communications in a professional setting where, you know, right. you might be restricted to corporate communication protocols and so on. And so, you know, one of my most memorable experiences in the program actually was collaborating with these classmates on you know, recommendations for future of oil sands development. You know, it was kind of a hypothetical situation, but right. we all started out with extremely opposing views, much uh, reflective <laughs> of, you know, we we're born and raised into, into, into our professional roles. Right. We were able to kind of teach each other, understand the rationale between those different perspectives, whether it's from government, industry, you know, public stakeholder, organization. And we were able to come up with realistic solutions together that really balance the needs of industry, society, and government. And I just think that this kind of learning opportunity would rarely exist in a professional setting where industry players can collaborate on solutions together without really representing official positions from the right. organizations they belong to and where we can just really focus on the solutions. Do you not think, though, you could take that back, for instance, for where you're currently working and say, look, this, this is what we can do if we speak, if we bring all parties to the table and, and speak in once to, to find solutions, potentially probably a lot quicker, I would imagine. Yeah, Carla, I, I would lo absolutely love a format like that where, you know, there's already a lot of collaboration between government, industry and the different players in the natural resource development space. But, uh, you know, often you are representing a position. So to be able to just have more cross training and see mm -hmm. things from the other's perspective, actually experience it from from their shoes, so to speak, yep. I think it will actually give a different perspective even though, you know, there's a lot of that already happening in our industry. Yeah, but, you, but it's, like you said, it's very easy to, to go in with your own bias and not necessarily want to open up because it's almost sometimes you, you feel everyone's competing for that little bit of power as opposed to saying, well, what do we need? What's the overall outcome we're lo all looking for? Yeah, that's exactly right. Or even some more cross-training opportunities, I think you'd actually be able to see things in a different light. And mm -hmm. this is what I think Murrow has really enabled. 
fantastic. So I guess we better talk a little bit about your research, because even though Merle is a, a professional program, you, you do a little bit of research as well as part of the program. And my understanding is you're, you do work on, please excuse me if I got this wrong, environment, social and governance in the Canadian energy sector looking at the competitiveness of Canadian energy regulatory framework, selenium, geochemistry and coal mining, carbon policy and the energy transition, which was a lot, wasn't it? Um, (laughs) I hope I said that okay, because I am just reading it right now. (laughs) Can you give us a bit of an overview of what all that means? Yeah, Colette, absolutely. I think you just touched on all the examples of different research I've been able to do as part of Merle. And I think the beauty of the program is that I've been able to research such a vast number of topics that are related to the energy industry directly relevant to my work. And so, you know, some of my research on ESG, which is environment social governance in the energy sector is more on the business side, whereas looking at competitiveness of Canadian energy regulatory framework, more on the policy and management regulatory side. And selenium geochemistry is more what I would consider on the science technical side. So it's it's actually incredible to be able to do all of that as part of one program. And we get the opportunity in Merle for a larger research project for nearly the last year of the program. And I opted for that option and I'm taking a deep dive into environment social governance reporting, also known as ESG uh, in the Canadian energy sector. And mainly this is driven by the fact that ESG metrics are driving the investment trend in energy projects right now. And with the rise of stakeholder capitalism, which is the idea that firms are increasingly becoming more focused on meeting the needs of their stakeholders, which involves Uh, much more aspects than just shareholders, which is what uh, traditional businesses have been focused on. You know, there's a shift in terms of, you know, how to cater to those needs um, and addressing Mm -hmm. that. And as the world focuses on decarbonizing, low carbon transition to meet climate action commitments, we see that energy companies are voluntarily conducting sustainability reporting to, to meet meet the needs of all of their stakeholders. And so this is interesting to me because the Canadian energy companies are recognized around the world for being held to some of the highest regulatory environment and social standards. Well, that's good. So so my research is really seeking to to see how that is doing in terms of the reporting side and identify any gaps and key areas to sustainability reporting for these Canadian energy businesses to perhaps help de-risk some of the social, political, economic issues and public perception issues that they may be faced with. And looking into various Canadian energy sectors, fossil fuels, nuclear renewables, just to get a, a sense of you know, how all those you know, subsectors are doing relatively compared to each other. So, sorry, did I, did I misunderstand that? Um, we're seen as good in this area around the world or bad in this area? Well, I would say anecdotally, Canadian energy companies are recognized for being, doing some of the best at ESG. Right. Some of the limitations with the reporting is that there is no mandatory or standard. There are uh, several major frameworks okay. that can be used for the reporting, but because it's a voluntary standard, you can see some variation across the, right. the sector. So yeah, my research really seeks to take a deep dive 
on that to see, you know, where we need to go, um, identifying some key areas that maybe can help to consolidate that reporting and to tighten up that narrative about right. how we are really doing in terms of the sustainability side of the energy sector. That's that's I find that really surprising, but um, not surprising as well, <laughs> because it's kind of you know, like you said, when it comes to reporting, oh, you know, when when we make things more or less voluntary then people go, well, let's take the shortcut. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's good that you're looking for some of those areas where we haven't done it properly and what can we be doing to, to be able to put better reports and things out. Yeah, I mean, so far I found that um, there's actually quite a lot of reporting going on voluntarily using many frameworks from the company. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think there is a lot happening. It's just, uh, you know, how to compare amongst the peers and what does it say about the sector as a whole. So, Right. Have you found any particular groupings that do a better job than others? I think anytime they're following a strict standard like GRI or SASB, which is the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, okay. uh, they tend to have more cohesive reporting and right. you get to have more consistency in the message that they're communicating. Mm-hmm. However, there's other frameworks out like the UN Sustainable Development Goals, as an example, where yes. you know they're more overarching, broad strategic level goals where companies have to define the reporting metrics on their own. That's where you know there might be some some ambiguity. Right. Of course, uh, Queen's is looking at the SDGs right now just for our own organization, and that's not in the energy sector. <laughs> no, no. I mean, mm-hmm. that's relevant across all industries, really. So it's good that uh, we have that. Yeah, sorry, Brittany. No, it's okay. I just want to add something interesting in here because I know that Queen's as well is looking at the UN schools. In one of the moral courses, which Annie would have taken, we have a professor who is retired from strategy at a large energy company. And he just did a lecture not long ago talking about how, I can't remember the exact number, but it's over half of the UN sustainability goals. In order to actually achieve them, they require energy. So the base of it might have not to do with energy, but in order to actually get it done, we require energy. And so he did this whole lecture of if we need energy to achieve these, how do we do it, though, in the most sustainable way? How are we getting energy out to everybody to accomplish these goals and so that was just a very interesting connection to talk about what are the resources behind actually being able to achieve these that's great Mm -hmm. so that your students in mill got to listen to that yes he did a whole lecture about that and over the course of five weeks he has this fundamental thing where he's trying to actually teach our students you know a lot of our students who work in the energy industry don't actually still even them a lot of them don't understand and neither do i how do we actually flip on the light switch in our house how do we take oil from the ground or a product from the ground and how does it actually transition into something we actually use and so right he kind of goes through in depth across five weeks of, of the details behind the energy industry and how it's kind of the complexities of what we're asking to do to switch to renewables and things like that and he is a right. pro renewable guy he's just actually putting stats and numbers to it yeah and so he yeah, definitely did a bunch of stuff about the u.s sustainability goals because he's a firm believer in them he just mm-hmm. again wanted to put numbers to what it's going to take to get it done that's great what mm-hmm. a great what a great uh, seminar series for you to have had that's fantastic um, so annie with your research that you've done so far have you been able to apply it to you know what you've 
done through Mill to your current work? Absolutely, Colette. There's been so many great examples with that. And, you know, as I mentioned, Merle has really allowed me to explore various topics in the energy and sustainability space that are so relevant to my day job. And unlike traditional graduate programs where, you know, you're dedicated to a specific research question or topic for the entire duration of your master's program, Merle has provided that flexibility to, you know, take a deeper dive on the research topics that are so relevant and um, needed for today. So um, with my research on selenium geochemistry, I was researching metal mining in BC as a growing contaminant of concern for water management and right. researching you know, the different treatment options as well as regulatory standards. And I'm currently able to apply that learning to one of my projects at work, which is uh, managing a real life selenium reduction project at an Alberta Fantastic. mine. So highly relevant. Oh, I, I really like that when you can apply what you're learning, which is to me is the ultimate aim. <laughs> so, it's good that you be able to and not just have to wait until you finished, Bill, but be able to start using it straight at some of the things you're learning straight away, which is, fantastic, sure. which is great. Yep. So how will Merle help you to achieve your future goals? Because I know you said in the beginning that you wanted to go a bit further and get more leadership and things like that. So how do you think it's going to help you achieve your goals? Yeah, you know, I think Merle has helped me develop more leadership skills and just being able to see from multiple perspectives and resource development. And you know, I, I really do attribute that to the diversity of the cohorts that we get to learn together right. with over the course of mm -hmm. these two years. Yeah, And I think decision makers in energy management, natural resource management will increasingly need to balance the multiple dimensions in that space. So I'm thinking right. social, political, economic, economic, technological needs, all of these facets. And we get courses in all of these dimensions in Merle, and most of our emphasis has been tying together all of these dimensions and looking for solutions that actually do address, you know, in a balanced way, all of these facets. And I think this will prepare me for a future leadership role in the space, just being able to understand and be well-versed in what those demands are in those dimensions and right. to speak really with anybody who is in the sector, no matter what side or position they may take. Well, I think it's it's always important to me in any project, whatever kind that project is, is to have collaboration going on. And like you said, if you if you have a better understanding of all the different facets, you can bring in that perspective as well, not just having one, one perspective. You can bring, you know what, let's consider that this group and this group and this group and bring it all together. Yeah, absolutely, Colette. And I think that's what helps us to really see the bigger picture in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, it allows you to kind of step away from, you know, the one swim lane that you no normally work in and be able to look at, you know, mo most of these other dimensions. It, it helps you to become more of a strategic thinker. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Because even with um, some other research programs that go on, I know when we have um, get together sometimes with our students, from all different programs and you can be talking about one topic but it's great listening to the conversations that go on from someone say who's in political studies versus someone in environmental studies versus someone in cancer research and or an engineer because they've got so many different perspectives and you can come out with such great rich information from from all this uh, chit chat that goes on which is really really nice and this is why I love my job so much because I get to find out about it all. <laughs> so I, I guess my last question is, 
and this is in your in your opinion, what is the significance of this program and how do you think it's impacted industry and why should people even consider taking milk? Because we've we've seen we've heard from you what you why you think you did, but what why would someone else want to consider Merle? Yeah, you know, Merle has just been an exceptional professional development experience um, for me. And you know, I've taken a number of other training leadership throughout the course of my career. And right. quite frankly, there's no other professional graduate program like in Canada, where you can get some of the traditional business leadership courses that you would normally find in an MBA program. Um, And often they are more necessary for senior roles. And at the same time, you're getting the technical and social dimensions to these issues specialized in the energy sector. There's really nothing like it. And Mm -hmm. on top of it, uh, I think that having the small cohort of students, it gives you a fantastic professional network just from the close relationships that you form uh, throughout the program, uh, working close together within two years. I would wholeheartedly recommend Merle to anyone working in the energy and mining sectors, um, no matter what stage they're at in their career, just looking Mm -hmm. to broaden their perspective. One of the things I liked what you just said then is that the, you know, increasing your professional network, which is so important in business, is to have that network going outside of where you're currently working. And, you know, it was one of the things I always say about if once you're a Queen's alum, that network alone is awesome. But if you can have a network that's particularly with people who are in fields similar to yours, where you're going to have to collaborate, what a great way to get it and really get to know people, have a bit of an in to some of those groups. You know, I'm just going to go and chat to my mate who's working in this company and see their thoughts about this, this and this. Yeah, that's exactly right, Colette. And just the fact that we're able to tap into that knowledge right away mm-hmm. as we're in our current roles professionally, you know, that that's the benefit. We get to do all this now and we are, you know, influencing the industry. We're working in it. We're part of it now. Right. So it's not a program where you're training for years and be able to apply all that valuable knowledge at a future date. This is something that we could make happen now. Well, I, I take my hat off to you. So I, I guess I am going to ask you one more question, even though I said that last time. How do you how do you relax? Because you're you're doing full time work, you're doing um, study as well. Do you even get time to have some time for yourself? because <laughs> <laughs> I say this to all our students. I don't know how you guys juggle everything, and but you, yeah, you do, everyone you know, needs a bit of time out. Yeah, you know, spare time is quite limited these days while juggling <laughs> work and Merle. But I really have a passion for international travel and just doing anything outdoors. And while we're not able to travel much these days mm-hmm. in the pandemic, I, I do love being outdoors and just you know biking, hiking in the mountains. Um, right, know, living in Western Canada. Most of my life, it's uh, it's such a blessing to be close to the mountains and be able to do all of that here. So yes, I must admit uh, that that makes me a bit jealous. I mean, <laughs> one, yeah, international travel we can't do that right now, and uh, I'm missing doing that because I love to travel. But yeah, being in the outdoors, and I must admit, I I think with COVID, where everyone hasn't been able to travel as much. It's amazing how the little environment around here can sort of uh, rejuvenate itself because it hasn't got all the smoke and everything around. (laughs) That's right, yeah. And I haven't met any environmental scientist that doesn't appreciate the great outdoors, so (laughs) that's a good good point. It's a great way to recharge. 
<laughs> I love it. Well, Annie and Brittany, we're, we're probably going to have to stop there, but I really do appreciate you both. One just told me about the program again, because you know, it's easy for people to forget from time to time, but I don't think people realise the importance of a program such as Mill. But also, Annie, your experience of, um, you know, coming from from the sector and and wanting to come back and do more to be able to progress not only your own future, but the industry itself. Um, So I really do appreciate you coming down to or coming on the show today virtually and uh, explaining what you've been doing. So thank you very, very much. Thank you for having, having me, <laughs> This is the trouble. We've got two. No yeah. one knows who to speak first because we can't see each other. But, <laughs> but it makes us laugh, which is excellent. <laughs> so, no. Uh, and Annie, best of luck with both finishing off your, your research, your program, and then back into your work life, which will give you a bit more time off to do your hiking and everything as well. That's right. Thank you so much. well that's it everyone a another week of grad chat sadly comes to an end don't forget you can download this show tomorrow from either itunes google podcast or stitcher just typing grad chat until next week this is cj the dj signing off with a big hooray Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences.